Welcome to episode six of the Carlson Cards podcast, where my name is Austin. I interview longtime collectors to learn more about their strategies and ways they've gone about navigating the hobby, and ultimately growing a really freaking cool collection. So the collector we get a chance to interview today is a very interesting person. So his name is Adam. I've chatted with Adam for a while on Instagram. We have a few things in common. We both have a huge interest in personal finance, and also we both really enjoy collecting Peyton Manning. Now, Adam does dive into his other collecting, including vintage baseball in this episode. But the main takeaway that I had was our discussion when it came to personal finance and navigating the hobby, and also talking about the idea of prospecting versus Hall of Fame type of players in terms of collecting. And part of the reason I wanted to bring Adam on is because I know he has a very good perspective on this whole thing. He's been the prospector. He came in, you know, was buying into breaks, and now he's really shifted into being more of a Hall of Fame type collector that's really stuck around for decades here. Not to mention the fact that football is just around the corner. I know it's a few months away, but we're all going to be hit with that hobby hype machine in just a few short months. We're going to be seeing young prospect quarterbacks all over our Instagram feeds, all over our YouTube screen. So I figured it was the perfect time to discuss this before that hype hits. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let's kick it over to the interview. Okay, welcome everyone to episode six of the Carlson Cards podcast. I'm joined today by a friend that I've met through Instagram. Um, we share many things in common that we're going to be chatting about today. His name's Adam. He goes by Adam underscore McNanny cards on Instagram. So if you don't follow him, be sure to do that if you haven't already. Um, and first of all, obviously, Adam, how are you doing? And thanks for joining. Yeah, I'm doing well, Austin. I appreciate you having me on here. Uh, it's I've only done the one other one with Brett, so uh, still a little raw <laughs> doing these. It's good. It comes out comes from the heart. Then there's no preparation. It's just straight from the heart. <laughs> exactly for the most part. <laughs> and so it's funny you mentioned already that talk with Brett. So I remember I was just chatting with you before this, vividly listening to your episode with Brett. It was like last year in August, maybe something like that, if I remember the date right. It, um, it was just post national. Yeah, we we talked about a, a little bit of everything on there. My favorite thing I remember was the um, was the new players versus the old players. So I think I told you already, that's something I want to talk about, especially as football is still quiet. But we're two months or a month away from football being super hyped up. Um, so one of the big reasons I wanted you is I felt like you had a lot of expertise in that area and you are able to explain it well. Um, so I'd love to obviously touch on that as we get going here. Um, but one thing I want to start with, Adam, so the way I kind of connected with you, we're in the same group chat. Um, then I also saw when I went on your page that you have a hashtag financial independence retire early and that's short for fire. Um, when I saw that, I immediately was like, no way cut from the same cloth. So I was obsessed with, um, you know, that whole thing for a long time before college and during, uh, I was wondering if you could give like a high level of what that is, what it means to you and maybe, you know, why you lead with that, um, from your page. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. So as you mentioned, fire financial independence, retire early, or some people, you know, just use the, the FI side of it, financial independence. Um, it's essentially a, a community of like-minded people that, you know, their goal is to achieve financial independence. And in some cases, early retirement outside of, you know, the traditional retiring at 62 or 65, you know, social security, that type of thing. So, you know, the group, um, they operate in all types of different levels, which is similar to, you know, the sports card industry, uh, you know, but it's it's typically, you know, controlled finances, high uh, savings rates, because, you know, ultimately you want to get to that point where, you know, you can pull the plug, whether, 
you know, there are people in there that do it in their 30s or their 40s or, you know, maybe like myself, I'm looking at, you know, potentially, uh, you know, mid 50s. And it, it's really just that option there. Right. It, it's having choices in, in life to, you know, essentially pull the plug if I want to and, and take a chance and, and maybe, you know, not retire, retire, but, you know, take on a, a different, you know, maybe passion project, side hustle, you know, that type of thing. So um, it really intrigued me. Uh, I've been looking into it or doing it for about the last six years. Uh, I just one day decided to Google how to retire early. And, and as I preface that, I was big into Dave Ramsey, but that's, you know, to me, more like graduating from high school. He's very specific and very rigid, whereas, you know, the, the FI community is more, you know, broad based. And that's why, like I said, I liken it to sports card collecting. So, you know, for the last several years, I've, I've been really focused on that um, and it kind of lined up as well. So back in 2017, I was not in the hobby. I've all, I was on the periphery, you know, I'd always, you know, follow things, whether on the blowout forums or, or that, those type of things. But um, you know, when I got back in the hobby in 2019, it, it did take a little bit uh, for me to make that adjustment and, you know, spend money on sports cards. Uh, you know, when I, you know, my family, I got my wife on board, uh, <laughs> which took a, a lot, uh, you know, but being able to make that transition out of that into sports cards, because prior to that, my sports card history was uh, probably a, a bit crazier, the, the polar opposite. So when you say you've been doing it uh, for six years, can you elaborate what the doing it means in a high level? I know, again, I'm pretty yeah. familiar, but I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who aren't. And I'd love when we wrap this part up to connect to the cards and what kind of has led you, um, you know, to the cards and the knowledge you've taken away from this movement as well and how that's helped you collect. Sure. So a lot of it was, you know, doing research. I, you know, Mr. Money Mustache is probably one of the the better known ones. So going on to you know, the forms that he has and in, in researching and reading um, Bogleheads, uh, Jack Bogle, who is the, you know, known as the godfather of index funds. He uh, founded uh, Vanguard, you know, reading into his information, but then listening to a lot of podcasts. So, you know, a lot of different materials, a lot of different advice. And so from there, it was changing how I looked at retirement where, you know, maybe 15 to, you know, percent was considered good as far as what you're investing in and really increasing that, trying to, you know, max out, you know, whether it's 401ks or health savings accounts and, and you know, IRAs, those type of things, uh, you know, building those different, uh, you know, retirement buckets there. But a, a lot of research, no different than, you know, going back to sports cards, researching, you know, the, the different areas within, you know, the hobby and finding out what would, you know, make the most sense. But, yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, time taken, uh, you know, figuring out, you know, for me, it's doing index funds. So those are, you know, I would align them to veteran or vintage collecting where it's, you know, not going to be your highs of highs and lows of lows, basically an index fund like I do the S&P 500 or a total market index fund like in the S&P, it tracks the 500 you know, top funds, uh, top companies, and that can always, you know, move in and out who is in and outside of that 500. But, you know, doesn't do anything crazy over history. I want to say it's like 10 or 11 percent. Um, you know, the total market's like two to three thousand companies. 
So it's just very balanced within it um, versus, you know, chasing, you know, single stocks or penny stocks, which would be, you know, more of your second or third or fourth tier, you know, prospects. Is that, is that the Trey Lance? Is that what you're saying? The penny stock? Trey would be, yeah, <laughs> he's like that hot tech stock, you know, and, and definitely a lot of risk and reward. And, you know, I've been down that path many times way back in the day, uh, even when I started, you know, back into to collecting, I kind of went back to some of those roots as far as prospecting and, and things like that um, when I got back into it. But yeah, thanks for giving a high level there. The reason I want to ask that is because, you know, I've kind of realized as I started collecting and, you know, it sounds like your journey has been an evolution as well. It was kind of like when I got the finances under control in terms of the hobby, man, it was a lot more fun. You know, <laughs> it was like, okay, we're not going to buy every card we see. It's going to be you know, $100 a month or 200 or whatever my wife and I were happy with. Um, so I was going to ask, like, have you felt like that's been helpful as well? Like, especially if you had kind of been in the hobby prior, now you're into it and kind of really feel like you have your personal finances under control. Have you been able to enjoy it more? You know, what's kind of been the difference there? It has been. So um, when I started back in, like I said, 2019, and the reason why I got into it is so my son was never really into sports cards. He's 22 now. He just graduated from college, but he was into Funkos. So I knew nothing about him, got into him with him. And, and that kind of opened up, you know, interest in sports cards. Again, I have a buddy. Uh, we've gone to the national last couple of years. We're going, you know, again with another group of people, um, you know, for this one, but he was starting to get back into cards because I had talked to him about it. He was asking me questions about Bowman Chrome and, and different things like that. So the conversations with him, you know, and then my son and collecting got me, you know, looking back into to sports cards. And so the first guy I bought, you know, going back to my prospecting was Mike Soroka, who pitches for the Atlanta Braves. Um, good start to everything. Unfortunately, if, you know, people aren't familiar with them, uh, you know, great year in 2019, 2020, uh, ended up tearing his Achilles. I think it was 2020. Yeah, it was the COVID year. Then toured again, the next year, uh, just a freak accident. And now he actually is, is back and he pitched, he's had a couple starts. He pitched against Oakland and he pitched against, uh, the car or not the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks the other night, but he did get sent back down to Gwinnett. So, um, you know, that's where I started, uh, because that's the roots that I had. And then a little bit further on in 2019, I started, you know, prospecting in basketball players. So buying guys that I liked, which, you know, I like big men, which doesn't go with the hobby, you know, because I'm, you know, for me back when I played basketball in high school, I was six, four. So um, I was considered, I had to play center, even though I, you know, wanted to play guard and chuck threes and, and all that. Um, but I bought guys like uh, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, you know, Joel Embiid, I'm a Kansas fan. So, you know, I, I really like Joel and, and a bunch of other, you know, guys. Um, but it took a lot for me to, to start going in and, and making those purchases because of the whole, you know, FI thing. I had been very particular with, you know, what I bought and what I sold and, you know, putting all my money into, you know, in, investments and, and essentially, you know, trying to build the, the money tree out in the backyard for, you know, my my future self and my future, you know, my, my wife and us are our future selves out there. But, um, during that time, I, I kind of in 2019, I did buy a, a Hank Aaron rookie. That was always a card, 
you know, on, on my wish list and I bought a PSA three at the time, uh, you know, so it was, it was breaking out of that mold. It did take a lot of, you know, it, it took a, a change in, in thinking and, and mentality uh, just because I had gotten so in, ingrained and entrenched and, in, you know, into the whole, you know, FI uh, space there. So one of the books I've read, and maybe you've read as well, I think it's by Ramit Sathi. I think I said that name horribly wrong. Um, but he is now has a show on Netflix. One yeah. of the things I liked about that book was he really detailed out, and this clicked with me really well versus like the Dave Ramsey mindset of, you know, figure out what you enjoy spending money on and then spend, you know, quote unquote, lavishly in that space. Um, mm-hmm. is, is that kind of what your story was? Like you identified, okay, I'm into this hobby, so maybe I'm not going to go, you know, buy a brand new car, but I am going to go buy a Hank Aaron rookie. Like, is that, is that your Mercedes, Adam? Is that what you're doing here? So it is kind of crazy because my wife, like she, and she's gotten on board even with the card piece because it's, it's kind of turned into, you know, its own, I don't want to call it business or a side hustle or anything. Cause I'm more of what I would call a lazy seller. I, <laughs> I have things that I bought at shows over the years, the, the few times I set up with the intent of, of moving because I, figured I had to have that in the, the mix of things and I still own those cards and they've gotten just pummeled uh, just because I don't do the shows. But yeah, I, you know, I, I've probably people that know me when I tell them like my, my brother-in-law, when I tell him like, Hey, this is what I spent on a 51 Bowen Mantle and he has sports cards from when he was a kid. You know, I think it's kind of eye opening because he knows that I'm not like the, you know, I don't, spend a lot of money. I, you know, I, I would say my vices or sports cards and then uh, of all things, which is going to be completely against the whole FI, you know, I do like to play poker and blackjack, you know, so those are like the two vices outside of that. I don't, you know, I don't really like to, to spend money, but yeah, it, it op- opened things up. I would say 2020 is when I got more comfortable. Um, the biggest purchase I had made at the time, and it, it took me way out of my comfort zone, is I bought a, a PSA 10. It was a 2003 SP Signature Michael Jordan Auto. Um, by far, like more than I had spent on any single card. Um, and, and mind you, I hadn't sold any cards by that point either. So all the stuff I was buying, you know, the Sorokas and all the the Prism, you know, stuff, I hadn't even moved at, at that point. But buying that Jordan kind of opened things up to where then I bought, uh, you know, the Peyton Manning 98 Bowman's best atomic refractor, the PSA 10 at that, you know, because going back a little bit, I should say the shift went from prospects to buying cards that I wanted, you know, that, that was where I figured out, okay, I'm not enjoying this because, you know, as I mentioned in Brett's podcast, it, it reminded me of like dealing with fantasy sports and I truly, do not like to to follow players that I I don't really care too much about. I mean, so outside of like Joel Embiid, well, AD when he came to the Lakers, that was you know a little bit different there. But you know, for the most part, I didn't you know care about them, and I felt like I had to watch the you know check ESPN every every morning to see hey how did these guys do because the market was fluctuating you know so much. So I decided to to pivot um, and you know started buying a little bit of, of vintage that summer, uh, bought the Jordan, started buying Peyton Manning because Peyton's just been kind of a guy that, you know, I've followed were essentially the same age. Um, I'm just like eight or nine months older, maybe. Um, but I went into that direction. And so, yeah, I did 
require opening the the pocket book a, a little more, but I, I was in a better, you know, financial, you know, space as well. I, you know, had taken a lot of time and effort to, to build the base from like an investing standpoint. So, and, and this is where I'll liken it, the investing to sports cards, right? Is a lot of people want the instant gratification, you know, get zero to a hundred and, and not necessarily put in the work, but, but for both sports cards, I mean, unless you have unlimited funds and, you know, investing, it, it takes a lot to build that initial base, right? And investing, they say your first hundred thousand that you, you know, having, you know, retirement funds is the hardest and it's true. And then from there, you know, uh, you know, in, interest and, and dividends and, and growth start taking over to the point where it's, you know, you're going to eventually get to that point where you're seeing more in growth than you are from what you're contributing. And, and I liken that to sports cards because a lot of people, and a lot of people have similar stories where they started out, you know, maybe hustling, you know, lower end cards and kind of built that up to get to, you know, where they are today. So um, I, I took, you know, some of those similar mindsets and, you know, always had just a, a separate side of money. I mean, for me, sports cards, yeah, there's an, an investment piece into it. I certainly don't want them to go to zero. I, I think that would make me really sad. Um, but they're also like more of an alternative asset where they represent a small amount of, um, you know, a, a, I would say of net worth just, you know, because I, I, I don't buy and sell them. They're a lot different than, you know, dealing in the, the investments that I, I deal with um, that I just, in that, that case, I just, you know, sock money away and I check it every day, but it's, I, there's no intent of doing anything with it. And there's no emotional attachment either. I can, when it comes to that day of, of selling that stuff, that's not going to be a problem. You know, a paid will be harder to sell than the S and P. That's for sure. <laughs> it, it will be. Yeah, there are cards that I have sold and instantly, you know, regretted over the the last couple of years. I sold a fifty a PSA four and a half fifty two maze at Culture Collision uh, here in Atlanta. Not this year's, but last year's. And then, like two months later, I bought another PSA four and a half fifty two maze, and I paid six significantly more than what I sold mine for. And it was just like you know, I wanted the the card. So I'm, I'm not the best <laughs> at buying and selling sports cards. I got lucky like everybody else did, you know, if you were doing this in 2019 and in early 2020, right. It was kind of hard not to, you know, to, to see some, you know, profits from, from things. And I just moved that into um, a lot of what you see on my Instagram page. Um, you know, so that's, that's kind of the, the story there. Awesome. So a, a lot to unpack there. There's a few things. So you misquoted yourself. The quote was, I don't want to care about players I don't care about. That's, yeah, <laughs> I vividly it, remember that. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And it was honest. I mean, it was just something I thought of right at, right on the spot. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't play fantasy. I hate fantasy sports. I used to play them and they just, I literally do not like it. So, so one of the other things too, uh, and it like you likened it to investments, and I think it's super accurate. So, um, again, very similar for me, where came in was you know spending money again, prospecting, kind of growing my base in the sense of I caught on to the grading and really enjoyed that, and that was kind of my thing. It's not for everybody, but I really enjoyed like you know growing an eBay store on the side, you know buying stuff, grading it, buying stuff, grading it, starting with the ten card orders that I could afford, 
moved to the 20, then the 50. Now I, this last week I sent out a 1000 card order. Don't ask me how it was like absurd months of preparation, but uh, moral of the story there is I just wanted to emphasize. I appreciate you sharing like the realness to all this. So I think a lot of times you see pages like yourself and I just assume, you know, everyone assumes, oh, this guy must be rich, right? He's got this, you know, $500,000 job, you know, all these things. But it sounds like in a similar story for me where, you know, you worked at it, you, you saved that little bit, you started small, then you started, again, getting into the bigger cards. But for you, like you've said, it's out of the enjoyment, out of the, I want to own this, not uh, the fact that you want to buy and then sell it, which is, again, different than some people you see, but that's what you've enjoyed. Um, yeah. Did I miss anything there? Is that pretty accurate? Did I highlight everything there? It is. I mean, I, and I used to be, you know, the the person that would flip cards and prospect a, a lot. I used to set up at a lot of shows when I lived in the the Midwest and made it a lot easier. I, you know, was stationed in Omaha, Nebraska. So I'd go to Chicago shows and, you know, this is the very late nineties into the very early two thousands. Um, I used to bust a lot of wax back when it was more affordable, but it was like this, just a vicious cycle because I would bust a ton. I mean, to the point of when I got stationed, uh, when I went from Omaha to Idaho, the card shop owner was closing down because myself and another person were, you know, kind of, he would, the other guy, I guess, was getting out of the hobby. I was just getting stationed elsewhere. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad, but I would open a lot of stuff, set up at shows, move it. I'd bulk sell. Um, this time around, it's a lot different. It's, it's, you know, when I set up the shows, yeah, I put out a lot of what I own and not necessarily looking to move it. So that's, you know, it's one of those where people are like, yeah, don't put out cards that you don't want to sell. But, you know, for me, sometimes I think about, well, if I can find the right thing or if I've got the capital to, to utilize it, but then, you know, in some cases I get stuck, you know, with, Hey, I've got capital and, and nothing to, to, to buy. So, and, and, you know, I think about cards like, you know, like the 24 carat, the, the Peyton or PMG, you know, those are cards I tried picking up. I was always, I was under bitter a few times on the, the 24 carat Peyton, which really pissed me off. But, um, you know, it, that's just, you know, that was led to because I, you know, had funds in hand from, from making, you know, different moves and, and selling things. So I'm more of a, you know, I wouldn't say as reactionary. I, you know, do things as they come. You know, if I've got to, you know, buy, if I came across a, a good deal on something, yeah, I would, you know, figure it out. Um, I'm pretty conservative, you know, outside of it. Like you mentioned, I'm not, yeah, I don't make, I'll make anywhere near a half million a year. <laughs> the reason I say that's class like, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, middle class dude. There you go. Now that's why I want to say that too, though. Cause again, I, like I just remember starting and I seeing these pages and these guys, you know, um, not specifically pointing out you, but just in general, like that's a $50,000 card. That's a 5,000. Like, how does this happen? You know, and that's, that's partially why I want to make this just kind of hear the stories. And, um, you know, I appreciate you sharing yours there, how you've kind of evolved. Uh, one of the things I want to dive in on, I mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, you talked about prospecting right away. Then you moved into more of the hall of fame um, type of players I have some stats I'm going to read off and then I want you to just tell me what you think about what I'm about to say. So, <laughs> so I, I use card ladder for this. So shout out to them. Um, yep. So Joe Montana, the obviously well-known for and own the Super Bowls, hall of famer, top 
two quarterback all time for sure. Maybe no, that's mm. offensive. Peyton Manning's up there. Sorry. No, no, Montana. <laughs> it's Mo- uh, so I'm a Montana guy first. I okay. as a kid, the Montana was my guy. So I, I, I love Manning. I would also say Montana's too. Yeah. Um, so his his highest sale ever is one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars. It's his rookie tops PSA ten from twenty twenty two. Um, again, some of these stats might be inaccurate. But this well, is that, one, that one's an eighty one. Eighty one. Sorry. Yeah. Did I say 82? You said 2022. Oh, oh no. Sorry. I was reading what year it sold. Oh, 2020. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. And then, so that one is 114,000. Peyton Manning, the highest that I can see is 72,000. The contenders rookie ticket, PSA 10. Um, Josh Allen has a $288,000 NTRPA out of 10, not the one of one um, that happened in 2022. He also has 13 total sales higher than Joe Montana and Peyton Manning's highest. So we're talking, that's not just one sale. There's been 13 higher than 114,000. Trey Lance has a $132,000 sale higher than Joe Montana. And Justin Herbert has a $1.8 million sale for an NT shield one of one. And his Prism Finite also sold for $1.1 million. He has 24 sales over Joe Montana. These are just three players. I think if I thought of any of these young guys, this, these stats would have been the same. So with those stats in mind, we have you know football coming up. I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot of these young guys again. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, knowing these price points and, and I guess how high these are, does it concern you hearing these numbers compared to a Joe Montana, Peyton Manning? It, it does because you know, the likelihood of them ending up with the, the same accolades is, is pretty tough. Um, you know, going back to, you know, again, I'm thinking when I talked to Brett, you know, I brought up Philip Rivers and Matt Ryan, right? Guys that put up phenomenal numbers, but never, you know, won a ring and, you know, will be in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, look at where their, you know, cards are, you know, now their rookie cards or even look at Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford had the hype, uh, you know, the year that they won the Super Bowl and his, you know, cards have cratered. So, um, if something doesn't happen here soon for some of those guys, yeah, I, I don't see, you know, a, a good ending for, for most of them. I mean, they still may be worth a, a, you know, a decent amount of money, but, you know, nowhere near the, you know, the, the top. I mean, it, it could be, you know, the, the, the top was in, you know, when those purchases were made, just because it seems like the, the football market has in, in most, you know, the, the ultra modern markets have, have taken a dip here you know, in the last uh, several months. And as I say that, I know players are up. I know Trevor Lawrence, you know, who I, I mean, I like, he's got kind of the, the Peyton Manning mold. Um, but, you know, I see these tier three and four guys. I, I remember getting asked last year who, who I thought was a bad buy. And I said, Davis Mills. And the person looked at me like I was crazy. And, you know, it, it's just knowing that a lot of these QBs are not going to pan out. So it's, it's the prospecting hot potato. It's been, you know, it's been going on for, gosh, I mean, 30 years, more than that. I mean, I remember as a kid, like 87 tops baseball, you bought and sold guys, you know, that are absolutely, you know, they're, they're major league players. So, you know, give it to that, but you know, they're <laughs> garbage, um, you know, had a pedestrian type career. Uh, and, and that's what I, I can see is, you know, some of those guys are going to be, you know, your Matt Ryan's, you know, your Philip Rivers, um, you know, put anybody else in there that had a maybe, you know, I, I feel like I'm picking on Brett because I'm, I'm just going to keep naming a cold score. Andrew Luck, right? Look at look at what happened there. I mean, people got absolutely destroyed when, 
you know, he, you know, retired early, but, you know, put anybody in there that has zero rings, Dan Marino. I mean, that's another one. And granted he's, I mean, he's got a, a good following, but you know, his prices would be, I, I would think significantly more if he had had at least one Super Bowl. Jim Kelly, you know, another one. So you know, that's who that's who those guys. You know, if they had those careers, you it, you know, if you're buying them their rookie year, you would say, yeah, that'd be awesome. But you know, we're baking on a lot of you know MVPs and and Super Bowls that it's just not gonna. I I don't think it'll happen because all these teams' windows are will shrink as far as you know winning a Super Bowl. It's it's typically when the the quarterback is you know in a rookie con. If they've got a good team, a good surrounding team, it's when the quarterback's in a rookie contract. It's like San Francisco right now. I mean, it's like they've got to win now, you know, because they've got all the money into you know the the skilled you know position players on offense and you know all the the big defensive players and they've got cheap quarterbacks. So part of the thing that kind of expand on what you said too. Part of the thing that concerns me is. Um, there's no history, I guess. I know I'll say this. So you said there's been 30 years of prospecting, which is obviously the truth. I think it's probably been around for as long as cards have been around. Um, everyone wants to, you know, collect cards of players they like watching and hoping they have a good career. I guess what concerns me is like the unprecedented nature of the dollar amount. Like we're talking like, you know, 1.8 million, like I said. So that's not even like saying, oh, if he has the career of Joe Montana, he might get this. Granted, I'll fully acknowledge there are different types of cards. That's what everyone's going to say. They're different types of right. cards. I get that. But I, what about the 2000s? I, I know there was one of one shields, right? I mean, I was going to ask you, like, what was it like with the hype, with the prospect, in which some of these guys from the 2000s that, again, there's no argument to be made that it's different because they had the same type of cards. They're still the one of one shields that we're talking about. Like, do you remember some of these players? Can you maybe talk about that just a little bit? So I remember like Michael Vick, I mean, his cards, but you could buy, I, I had a buddy. I remember at the two, I think it was the 2002 national. If it was in O2, it was O2 or three, whichever you know, year it was in Chicago. But I remember he sold a Vick uh, SP authentic, you know, rookie patch auto, because those were the, the big things, you know, back then. And, you know, I think it was like 600 bucks and that was a lot of money you know, back then for a card like that, as far as some of the shields, I, I don't recall like prices, but I would say it was on such a, you know, smaller scale. I can think of even like Oh three Oh four exquisite basketball, like LeBron's. I, um, is it the, the numbers, the one that whatever one it's a vertical it's numbered to 23, um, not the actual RPA, is but it no, notable it, number. I can't think something of it. like that. Yeah. I think it's that. That was less than a thousand dollar card back in after exquisite, you know, came out. And I remember that because I, I knew a guy when I lived in Omaha that sold the card on eBay and it went for just under a grand. So, um, entry level, I mean, you could say it was high back then, but it's nowhere near now. I mean, there's to me a lot more, you know, risk and, and ruin or risk or ruin, you know, involved here that, you know, to me, the people that are dealing in that stratosphere, I mean, they've got to have a, a ton of money, I would imagine. So, you know, hopefully it's something that, you know, the, it's not going to hurt their overall, you know, portfolio is, you know, so to speak, but yeah, it's, it's a lot crazier when you see uh, guys like Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell and, you know, last year's guys, Trey Lance that are selling for, 
you know, four and five figures and, and knowing that some of these guys are just going to be garbage. I mean, Malik <laughs> Willis, you know, or, and I don't know what his stuff was selling for, but I mean, it sounds like he's already, you know, one, one foot out of the league, but yeah, that's the, that's probably the major difference from, you know, 20 years ago to now is just the entry point for, you know, the, the, the top tier players is significantly higher and then it's even crazier for like your third and fourth tier guys. So I'd call them. Yeah. Those guys, some of those guys I would call like tier three, tier four types, you know, and you see it in basketball as well, where people are chasing, you know, dudes that I'm like, yeah, the, you know, you may get lucky and find it a Giannis, but you know, more than more often than not, you're probably going to get burned and you're paying a heck of a lot more than somebody was in, you know, 2014 or 20, 13, yeah, to to buy, you know, Giannis, you know, cards back then, you kind of pivot into, you know, to basketball. So the reason I wanted to ask about this too is I feel like this is such a hard mold to break when you come in. Like, I just remember, and you kind of sound like it was familiar where you had those two years where it's just like, this is the only hobby you saw was the prospect. Like, that's what I, I thought it was. It was like, you know, you see the showcase at a show of, you know, fifties baseball. And I'm just like, I don't have no interest in that. And it sounds horrible. Say it's just the truth. When I came in, I think we all have this, like, I want to say like arrogance, but somewhat like naivety basically of it. Like you don't realize that there's this whole other hobby out here. There's like two stratospheres. Like you said, it's like the prospecting people who chase um, I'd imagine will obviously probably like watching the players you'd hope, or they don't care about them, but you chase the money. Or, you know, like you've kind of alluded to, you're chasing the nostalgia and the players who are already established, who have, you know, you want to own the cards, not because they might possibly make memories that you're going to enjoy. It's because they already have and you've enjoyed it and you can go back to it, right? I just, I would assume you'd play it, pay a premium for knowing what they've done, but people currently seem to pay a premium for not knowing what's going to happen, which is very interesting. It's different. And I was thinking about this earlier today, the the other major difference in, you know, so late nineties and early two thousands is there were so few parallels compared to now. And and that's where I would be scared if I was somebody buying prospects and, you know, let's say within, you know, prism or optic or, or whatever that have like, however many it's 20 or 30 or God, I think it's more, I think it's like 60, yeah. <laughs> 60 yeah. 70, so, yeah. you know, these people are, Oh, it's low numbered, but I don't think that stuff is going to stand the, the test of time. It's going to be, you know, I've talked about this with buddies over the last couple of years, there's going to be certain parallels in those products that will, you know, be the ones that are sought after. But I think some of the, the oddball ones, you know, now that may go, you know, go for a, a decent amount or not, because it's like, there there's too much to it's saturated, you know, versus, you know, I know you've been collecting like the, the finest gold refractors and, and, you know, tops Chrome gold refractors and those type of things. And back then the early two thousands, there weren't many parallels. I mean, in finest and in, in Chrome, you had maybe what, four or five yeah. <laughs> even less in, in, you know, the, when they first, you know, rolled out. So I think those are the, the major differences, but, you know, I get it. I mean, you know, for people, it, it makes sense to try to, you know, if you're truly collecting to collect a player that's currently playing, it keeps you involved, you know, team, that type of thing. It's for me, I've always kept the teams I've liked, but the sports have changed so much and that players, you know, jump ship. So like the last big guy I ever collected and I should have, you know, this is going back to like 2007, 
was Jeff Francoeur. So I'm a big Braves fan because of Dale Murphy. Um, I decided to collect Francoeur. Why I didn't collect like Peyton Manning or somebody else, I don't know. But I went out to try to get everything. I had, you know, I had like MLB logo men from, you know, uh, UD Premier and, and, you know, Ginter Wood cards. I had all kinds of crazy stuff. And then he got traded to the Mets and I just, you know, stopped thinking because it was more about him playing for the Braves and, and hoping they had a long-term career. And so that's like the last time I've really tried to play or collect somebody. And it's, and it's for that fact that, you know, more often than not, I'm going to like a player, you know, because they play for the team that I, you know, root for. The only exception was Peyton Manning. And that was just its own little, you know, story there on, on how that worked out. Amazing. So if you don't mind, I'll shift over to your Mount Rushmore. I think it's like a nice segue because you mentioned Peyton Manning and I know you have a really phenomenal collection of him, not only, but other players as well. Um, So Adam, obviously, if I just remind you, so this will be on YouTube, but also people on the podcast, they won't be able to see the visual here. So if you could also just describe the card when you go through each one, just to kind of paint a picture of what people are looking at Um, and feel free, run with this, your Mount Rushmore. Let's hear about it. Yep. So the the first one on the left is the probably the one that will shock most people, but that's a uh, 77 tops. It's a Dale Murphy rookie. Um, he's on there with uh, Gary Alexander, who I don't think had much of a career. Rick Sarone was a decent catcher and Kevin Paisley, I don't think had much of a career either. But um, when I got into to collecting, uh, he was my favorite player. It, we had moved from Hawaii to Kansas and my choices were either watching uh, WTBS or WGN. Fortunately, I made the right choice and it was TBS. Uh, neighbor, you know, kid across the street was a big Braves fan. So just kind of fell into that. Um, but that's, you know, Murph's uh, rookie card is a, I was probably 11 or 12 years old. I want to say it was either 86 or 87. I got that card for Christmas. And that was like one of the more expensive cards out there. That was a, roughly like a $50 card at, at peak. So, you know, for, uh, that time frame, a big card. My parents got it for me for Christmas. It's, you know, that was the greatest thing. It's still in the same ugly screw down. They probably paid $50 for that card. And it's maybe a PSA four or five at best. And I actually bought a, a PSA nine probably close to 20 years ago. And I sold it. I was just like, yeah, it did nothing for me. But, you know, people talk about you know, casket cards. That's probably the only one. I'm not going to put some super expensive card in my in, in the grave with me. <laughs> I'll give them to my son if I if I still own them. But that's that's the story behind that one. That one is you know really a, a nostalgic you know card for me. I still have my Dale Murphy collection from from when I was a kid. Um, the next, it, it, it's funny. I was just going to, sorry, not to interrupt. I was going to yeah. mention, I'm glad you mentioned the screw down because I had to trim it for the photo. And I, I was like, you have to get the full visual. It's in yeah. a screw down. I mean, this is obviously a childhood card. I love it. Sorry. It, go ahead. it is ugly. And I left it that way for that. <laughs> um, the next cards of 55 tops, Roberto Clemente, it's a PSA five. So, um, I've, always liked vintage. Um, just when I grew up as, as a kid, I mean, I read, you know, a biography on Roberto Clemente, guys like Hank Aaron, Pele, so on and so forth when, you know, I was in elementary school. Um, but Clemente is my dad's favorite player. So my dad's from Western Pennsylvania. I remember at a card show in Wichita, Kansas, I was probably 10 years old, seeing a Clemente there. The guy wanted like a hundred bucks. 
you know, a couple of years later, we had moved up to North Dakota. So my parents were in the military. Um, and I remember seeing the same card for about a hundred bucks over in some small town in, in Minnesota. So it was always one that I wanted to get. Um, and I ended up picking that one up probably two years or so ago. Uh, and ironically enough, I didn't realize until I got the card, but the seller, I bought it on eBay. The seller lived in the same neighborhood I did when I was in South Dakota. Um, so it was a, the craziest thing, but you know, for me, it, the, it has, you know, again, more of a, a nostalgic feel to it. I do like vintage, you know, as I mentioned, I have an Aaron rookie. I've got the Clemente, uh, a 51 Mantle, a 52 Maze, a 57 Russell, and there's other guys that I would love to get, but it's all about timing and, and the willingness to, you know, depart with the, the money to, to, to purchase it. So that's a, another piece going back to my, my other side. Um, but that's the, the reason behind that card is, you know, it was my dad's favorite player. I remember sharing it with him, you know, when I finally got it in hand, it's a nice looking, you know, five as, as well. Um, the next one is a, is a PSA nine. It's a 98 leaf rookies and stars, Peyton Manning longevity. So those are out of 50. That one's uh, number 14 out of 50. Um, it's not the most expensive Peyton I own. I would say that's probably the atomic, but um, it's one. The story behind that is I bought that card as a BGS 95 min gem, probably whenever PWCC was liquidating some, the, the person's collection. That's where I, I picked up a lot of this stuff. But I picked up that min gem. I knew it wasn't a PSA 10. Um, I was in Dallas set up last year and, and going back to, you know, putting out cards that you don't really want to sell. I had a guy that came up and wanted that and a, had a super rave at the time. And I wasn't really keen on the super raves. I just don't like the, the college Jersey and it just kind of clashes with, with everything else. But I sold that longevity. I regretted it. Um, the card came up on eBay earlier this year and I was like, I'm going to buy the card. That's the exact card that I own. And now it's in a PSA nine, which I thought was the, the correct grade. So um, with 98 leaf rookies and stars, it was the first year that they came out. Um, the longevity is being out of 50. The unique thing is the number one is a essentially a one of one. So it's a hollow foil. And then the other 49 or, or what this one looks like. And the cool thing is, is the background is that the, the team logo, I mean, it's a shinier, I wouldn't, it's not like, you know, your refractor shine, but it's got a shine to it. And when you twit, you know, tilt it, you can see the, the logo um, really well there. So, you know, to me, it's a beautiful card. That's probably why I like it. I don't think it's going to leave this time around. Um, I say that and I, I hope unless I can somehow get the, the one of 50. Um, but you know, the, to me, rookies and stars is probably one of the more, you know, underrated sets, as I mentioned in that post, if there had been a basketball product that year, the baseball and the, the football would be, you know, they would sell for considerably more because I think the basketball collectors would, would have, you know, fallen in love with, with those sets. Um, and then the last one. So this was a kind of a toss up between three cards. So Joe Montana is my, my favorite football player he was as a kid um you know growing up and this one is from 2000 leaf certified heritage collection it's a patch auto out of 21 and i believe it's number 15 out of 21 but if you flip the card around and if you go to the post you'll see it but if you flip the card around the cool thing about it is this is back when you know leaf would depict the actual jersey that it came off of so 
on the back is a picture of the jersey and it's signed and it says 1979 game used so it's a rookie patch so i mean it's i mean technically an rpa but it's not you know i mean it is a rookie patch and it's an autograph card but you know something super rare there's you know i know somebody that has I want to say two or three of the others and, and maybe somebody else that has another one. So they're extremely limited. There's a, I think there's a couple unsigned versions. There's a version where he's in this chief's uniform and I thought about buying it. The, the 15 out of 20, the exact serial number had come up earlier this year, but um, I just like it for that, that it's, you know, the, the lineage to it. Um, if that's the right term, but it, uh, you know, it, it's it's from his rookie year. The other two that were real close is I have a 1999 uh, Incredible Ink Level 2 that's numbered out of 16. I picked that up uh, in a deal, and, and I actually picked it up at the National in, in 2021 in Chicago. But it reminds me because I used to own the Wilt Chamberlain, the Incredible Ink. I owned it back in 1999. I paid 300 bucks for it, and I sold it for 400 And it's a card I, I regret um, to this day to, to sell. And if I could get the, the incredible ink, I, I would do anything for, you know, for the will well, except I won't pay the prices that they, <laughs> that, that they go for now. And then the other one was a, uh, from playoff. It's a, uh, it's a auto and it's a piece of the football from, I believe it was the fourth Super Bowl that they won against Denver. So it's a super rare, you know, card there. I got a great as a PSA eight. Um, I, meant to grade the auto, which is a, a 10 all day long. But um, it, I picked this one out of the three just because it has, you know, roots to his rookie season. But that's the the four that I have there, uh, all for very different reasons. Amazing. I love how it kind of touches on different aspects of your journey, um, you know, from the childhood card to the Peyton to the Montana and cards even you sold and got back again. Like that's just really unique. Um, so I, quick question just off this too. I have no knowledge of like, you know, patch autos for Montana. Do you have a, not specifically this card, but just like a general sense, what kind of range do these type of cards typically go for? Like, let's say I want to start collecting Montana. What kind of range do these go for? So some of the, the cheaper ones, I mean, it, it depends on the era. I mean, one of the first ones I bought was a, I think it was an 09 Classics, but that would have been Panini by that point. Um, it Really cool piece, Swatch, but it was a sticker auto. You can get something like that for under 300 bucks. That's just um, absurd. But, like yeah. that just makes, that's <laughs> so absurd. Why do these modern guys come out and their autographs are $2,000 and the, you know, the supply is going to go up forever. <laughs> it's, yeah, just the so on, the, it's the on card thing. And, yeah. and now with, as you know, with Peyton, um, you know, a lot of his stuff's player, player worn or maybe never worn for all we know. Um, <laughs> You know, so which is why I like the flawless and, and those types, as long as they're the, you know, the, the game used go for a significant amount. But um, Montana, his stuff is spiked quite a bit over the, the last you know couple of years for the rarer stuff. I mean, you know, I don't mind. I paid. Um, I got lucky. It was that, that last Montana I forgot to mention was in a PWCC weekly auction. And when I saw it got listed, I probably clicked on that thing over a hundred times during the week. I just wanted it to end. I was willing to pay significantly more, but I paid 
just under like a thousand dollars for that card. Oh my god, and that makes me sick. I, <laughs> I have somebody, I, and I've had somebody offer me like four times the amount. It just it it doesn't matter, and and so that's the interesting thing, right? I have some cards are more expensive, but stuff like that Montana, there's no interest in selling. I mean, I'm into it for you know next to nothing now. If I was into it for like maybe thirty thousand dollars, yeah, I would have to think about it because you know that may open you know other avenues. But for a card where you know I have a thousand bucks into you know which is similar to like the the Super Bowl ball auto one I'm that I talked about and that incredible link I got for you know just a little bit under that. It, it's you know you can offer me. I've I've had another from Impeccable of his. It's just an auto. It's a Super Bowl auto where he's got the the famous like pose where he's got his arms outstretched in the air. And I've got two of the five and I've had a guy offer me like five X because he wants it for a set. And I'm just like, I don't want to sell the card. You know, it, it means more to me. It, it's not going to it's not going to change anything for me. Right. I'm, I'm going to sell and be like, OK, now what the hell do I do with with this money? I can't buy anything. I go buy it back for three times the price. Right. You go do his, that later his, on. <laughs> yeah. His earlier stuff can go for a, a decent amount, though, um, mm-hmm. like the dual autos with him and Rice out of. So he has a master collection, okay. uh, like the Jordan master collection. And there were a few others, the Lakers. But um He's got some dual autos out of 10. There's like five versions with Jerry Rice. And then there's five versions with Ronnie Lott. So there's a total of 50 autos. And then he's got five cards, I believe, in a set where there's a piece of jersey. It's a game-used jersey. And I've got like two out of the five. And those have started to go up. I mean, there's been some graded sales at just over $1,000. But yeah, when you when you consider that, to what guys are going for now, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, the unfortunate part and what took me a long time to collect Montana is he didn't have a lot of cool player year stuff, right? So, and then he it converted to the sticker autos, which aren't as bad. I mean, the, when they started doing the silver stickers, you know, it depend and and more like playoff Don Russell playoff, they weren't terrible looking. Um, I don't like the ones that are the the silver, like the upper deck silver ones, don't you know, look as nice as the, the playoff ones, which were just like a, a blank silver. But, um, you know, I think that's the, the big thing with him is, you know, he, he doesn't have anything and, and maybe that deters people because I don't buy a lot of Peyton Manning that's post year, you know, playing stuff. I try to stay, you know, really the, the early part of the, the career. So I, you know, I understand that. And then now Montana signs a million things for Leaf. So, you know, you can if you want a Montana sticker auto, you can get it. I would assume for like under a hundred bucks. I wow. my my Joe Montana auto search on eBay is just it's it's typically a <laughs> bunch of Leaf cards, and rarely is it anything that you know is of substance. I mean, the ninety there was a ninety seven Legends um, that was that's a big set nineteen ninety seven UD Legends. Um, there was actually a set that sold on Golden here. Uh, recently, but there were a few cards that didn't pass authenticity, a few of the, the big short prints, but that's a, a huge set amongst, you know, football collectors from that time. And I'd love to get the Montana, but I, I ended up like the underbidder, the the time, the eight, five, 10, there was an eight, five, 10 and a nine, nine that came up and the nine, nine actually sold for less. And, and for me with those type of cards, it's more about the autograph than the condition. I mean, I don't want like a, 
a creased up and crumpled up card, but you know, I want one that has a, a clean auto. So if I get like a PSA six or a BGS seven, you know, as long as the auto is a, a clean 10, you know, no bubbles or anything like that. That's, that's all that matters to me with those cards. I appreciate the insight and like, just to emphasize too, I don't ask this at all to like hype up Montana, just more so from being the kid who grew up following the NFL, the legends, you know, reading all the books, the rankings, yeah. it's like a guy who's four and in Super Bowls and then is quote unquote, again, not officially, but like rookie RPA for under a thousand. Like, it's just, just crazy to me. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. That's how the hobby is, you know? Um, and it's just interesting too, you know, I, I, I don't know basketball well enough, but I'd have to imagine some of these basketball legends of similar cards are much more. So it's just kind of crazy. But like you said, I'm sure some part of it is the, um, I don't want to say like unknown, but the, the difference from Montana, it's hard for me as someone who only knows so far, Panini stuff. Now I'm in the two thousands, maybe shift to the nineties a little bit. It's like Montana's way still the hell out in the outfield. I'm not, you know, it's like, I, I think there's something to that. Just, I just want to say, I think there is something to that and it's too bad really. Yeah. If you have ties, I mean, like I said, the, the vintage stuff is because that was something, you know, I, I was into at a younger age and maybe that was because of my, my dad, even though he didn't, he wasn't buying vintage cards. You know, when I was a, a kid, he kind of collected like 88 Fleers, you know, we'd put together sets or 86 Donruss chasing the Jose Canseco, um, but I think it was, you know, reading and knowing about the history of, of baseball in particular. And that just led to, you know, the, the other sports I've always kind of been somewhat of a, you know, sports historian, um, you know, a, a across the board there, but I mean, maybe you'll eventually get into it, but I, I know somebody, I, I hope to, I definitely hope to, I, I should have said that. I made it sound like he's like way out there and I have no interest. Yeah. I greatly have interest because I, I, I'm a kind of. I don't want to say full on historian, but like NFL history means a lot to me. So Montana is obviously massive, massive for that. And, it, and it's hard. I mean, you don't want to get too, you know, spread too thin. And that's why I kind of focus, you know, it's Montana and Manning and, you know, certain, uh, you know, vintage cards is, is primarily what I buy. So that's what makes, you know, card shows somewhat boring for me. <laughs> is especially if I'm attending like the national this year, it's probably going to be like AC last year, you know, and I'll be fine if I go there and I don't buy a thing and I don't sell a thing. It's more about, you know, hanging out with people that I've, I've met through the hobby. You know, that's, that's what it's turned into, you know, for me this year, I'm going, I'll be there Wednesday afternoon and heading out Sunday or not Sunday, Saturday at noon. So it's going to be a little bit shorter than, than years past, but you know, I'll have gotten my, my fill of it all, you know, in between and, you know, meeting, meeting, catching up with people and all that good stuff. You and I have the same schedule. We'll definitely have to meet up. <laughs> That'd yeah. be great. So if you don't mind, could I, we wrap up with like a fast five, it's kind of five quick questions. First thing that comes to your head, um, you know, maybe some tricky, some not. Um, so if you could only collect patches, so we're talking game used patches or on card autographs, one or the other, no, du no duplicates. What, what are you taking? I know I, you mentioned this before. I'd probably take the autos. Okay. Uh, I know the patches are, are cool. I mean, obviously the best combos both, but yeah, I'd take the autos. They mean a little more to me. You know, the person took the time to, to sign it, you know, so, and I've got some like auto memorabilia. Uh, yeah. It'd be autos. You mean you don't want like the armpit sweat and the blood that doesn't mean anything to you, Adam. I mean, that would be cool. It'd be unique. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I tell you, I'll still take, I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, dual auto over dual patches of them. Any mm -hmm. day of the week. 
So then uh, another one here. So where is your favorite place you've lived while in the military? Because I heard you kind of say a few different spots. What's your favorite spot? Uh, maybe the fondest memories. So I would probably say, and this is going to shock people, but North Dakota. Um, and I say that because we moved there when I was in sixth grade and I graduated, graduated high school there. So, um, you know, it's probably the most memories, you know, friends and, and, and those type of things. Um, yeah, even more so because I joined the military after and I've lived in, lived in, so I was assigned in several, you know, several different States, but I would say North Dakota, uh, you know, because of the, the people and, and time in life. What do you call a North Dakota person? Like I'm a Wisconsinite. What is a North Dakota person? Must be like a North Dakota or, or something like that. I, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea, man. And the thing is I haven't been back there in since like 1995 when my parents retired from the military, they moved to um, Eastern Tennessee. And that was a lot. I went and visited them that one, that last winter and hung out with my buddies. And that was, that was it for me. I have no, real desire to, to go up there other than, well, I guess I shouldn't say that. I wouldn't mind seeing what the, the town or the city looks like now, but yeah, wouldn't cool. want to stay for more than a day. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Uh, so then another one here, if you could only collect one year of cards, it could be all the sets, all the sports in that year. What year would you do? Last, last uh, episode, Chris uh, Dicea had some really good ones. He said 97 for the, you know, PMGs and stuff. And then he said 20, 2012 for like the FLIR retro, you got the first year prism, stuff like that. Is there a year that you'd like? So I would probably say, man, that's a tough one. It is. <laughs> that's why I gave a couple well, examples because so for, for more modern, I would say 99, just because that would include some Montana stuff. I was going to initially going to say 98 because that would hit me with all the Peyton rookies, which is what, you know, most of the, the Mannings I own are, but 99 would let me get a hold of some cool Manning parallels. And then also, you know, a couple of the rare Montana autos. And then if it were vintage, which is the other side, I, and so I did listen to that one. I listened to it today. So I, I, I knew that you'd ask that the other one would be 57 tops. And I don't really have outside of the bill Russell, anything, but I say that because I believe that was the first year that they had all four sports. So baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. Um, and football is kind of cool because you've got Unitas and Bart Starr and, you know, several other rookies in there. Um, you know, baseball, you still have all the Hall of Famers in there. And I want to say, you know, 58's Frank Robinson. There's a couple rookies I can't think of off the top of my head. And then if you're a hockey collector, you got 57, you know, hockey. So uh, I would pick that one just for that you know, you could get a little bit wider there, uh, you know, from a vintage standpoint. Love it. So then, uh, so we're, we're, we're getting to the retirement, uh, for you. Let's just say hypothetically pretending it's next year. Where are you living? Are you staying where you at? Do you have a dream? What's the dream destination? How about that? Man, regardless of cost of living, where are you going? So it's not here. Um, you know, I've lived in the Atlanta suburbs for about 11 years. It's just, you know, nice people, nice neighbors, but I don't really care for the weather. It gets too humid. So um, some of my buddies would not be, I'd either be Vegas or just traveling abroad. I mean, I, 
read a lot or, or I shouldn't say read. I watch a lot about like people that slow travel the, the world. And that goes into the whole financial independence thing, you know, spending a couple months here, a couple months there, um, because it's cheaper than living in the United States. You can probably get, you know, just as good or better, better health care. So it's one of those two, probably because of my wife, it'll be somewhere stateside, but it would be Vegas because I would like fit everything I need. Just no state tax. I could gamble. <laughs> hashtag poker, a little bit of poker. Yeah, uh, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. it would probably be. Yeah, that would that would eat up some of my time and maybe be like a bit of a side hustle there. So yeah, one of those two. There you go. And then a final one here. So you're on the podcast. Hopefully a lot of listeners here. What's a card you're looking for that we can help you with? And that's also a tough one. I get that. <laughs> no, I had. Oh, man. Okay, so I would say one that I haven't seen is a 2005, I think it's Sweet Spot. Dale Murphy. So there's jumbo patches that were in that year. I think it's sweet spot classic. The Dale Murphy is out of like 34 or 36. And there has not been one, at least per card ladder, I want to say since like 2014. So that one, just because I have not seen the card, I know um, zero four ultimate has a, you know, has or had a lot of them. I've got a DiMaggio from the, the set where he's like in an Oakland A's, but that would, probably be the one just because I literally have not seen that card in, in years. So yeah, outside the box, it's not Peyton or my, it was going to be a Montana probably, but the, the Murphy is, is the one that I would like to see and probably pay dearly for. Hey, you got to shoot your shot. Yeah. So thanks so much, Adam. I appreciate you joining. This was really fun. As you can see, we've almost talked for close to an hour. I didn't even see the time, but I hope that's okay with your schedule. Um, so you can find Adam on Instagram with his, um, you know, his username in the bio of the video or podcast episode. Um, and Adam, I hope we can meet up at the National and be a lot of fun. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me on, Austin. And yeah, we'll definitely meet up. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Take it easy.